And so what we can do then is we can take the essence of the knowledge and we can almost create like a separate being for it. December 25th, 2018, it was our first Christmas in our new million dollar home. I checked all the boxes that promised me real freedom. I had a booming business, raving fans, money, assets, and yeah, I was still sitting there on the couch pretending that I was watching that Christmas movie with my family while I was choking down the poison of anxiety. I still felt like that desperate kid who would take her clothes off for money, the kid who nearly overdosed to try to prove her worth to her friends, the kid that got pregnant at 19. I felt stuck, like I was stuck in the sands of time. I did all the right things, all the things that promised me freedom and it didn't add up. I realized a few things. I was still checking someone else's box. This was gonna be an inside job and I would do whatever it took to never feel that way again. Consider this podcast the rebranded, revamped, cool ass version of Alternative School. Alternative School for the Unruly, entrepreneur. This is for the innovators, the creators, the world changers, the service-minded, and those who want the details on how to create a business that really, truly, finally fucking sets you free. I'm your host, Andrea Crowder, and welcome to the Unruly Entrepreneur Podcast. Let's go to the show. Fast transformations coming at you today. So I asked on my Insta stories if you could spend 30 minutes with me and ask me anything, what would you ask? And so some of these questions I feel like I could actually get through really quickly. And I was like, you know what? Let's do some fire coaching today and just create some big shifts in a short amount of time for people. So one of the first questions that was asked was when emotions feel debilitating, they put you in a freeze. What's a reframe to put that energy into action? Number one, thinking that the emotions shouldn't be there or the event that occurred shouldn't have can keep you in freeze. My dad used to say, make peace with the conditions you're in and then focus on improving your circumstances. I didn't get what the fuck that meant when I was a little kid. I'm just like, dad, stop with the Yoda shit. Just help me, right? And yet there's so much wisdom in this. Of course, as we become older, we're like, damn, our parents actually did know some stuff. (laughs) And so there's something really, really psychologically valuable about becoming peaceful with what's occurred. Not to say if somebody else did something that that's a way to, to approve or excuse. It's not about that. It's about making peace with the fact that it did. Because when we think that it shouldn't have happened or when we are um, thinking that an emotion shouldn't be there, especially if it's like an irrational response, you know, sometimes really, really recently I had a really irrational response to some text messages that I was getting. I'm like, why all of a sudden am I feeling really angry and agitated? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And all of a sudden my chest started getting really heavy. And I was like, I'm feeling panicky. Like, what is this? And I realized like, okay, I, I'm in a trigger response. And so making peace with what was occurring 
getting closer to the sensation, it's when we try to run from it and avoid it that a lot of times it can get bigger because this is all way of thinking through the lens of RRT, right? It's not necessarily meant to be claimed as like facts, truth. It's just a useful way of thinking. So if you'll think about it this way with me for a second, if if your unconscious wants you to be able to fight, flight, or freeze, depending on like what would be the most useful for your survival, it's going to flood sensations to the body to get you to take an action, right? Or an inaction. And so when all of a sudden we're thinking like should, something shouldn't be there, um, we start to get the sensation of pressure. Some might describe it as anxiousness. And it's just energy to the body that could be useful to get us to stop something from having occurred because our unconscious mind doesn't understand the concept of remembering or imagining. It thinks like, well, if it shouldn't have occurred or it shouldn't have happened, let's make it not so. So here's some energy to get that done, right? And then we don't use that energy because it's not useful to us in the moment. Sometimes what could actually be really useful if you're feeling a lot of like built up energy would be to go for a run. In this case, a freeze response. It would be like, okay, get closer to the energy. What does the energy tell you? So in in business, when we go into a freeze response, a lot of times it's like avoiding, it's to avoid some sort of like conflict or like fear or visibility or judgment or something like that. So getting closer to the sensation and just saying like, what are you trying to show me? I remember one time I was getting ready to do a public speaking event and I was starting to feel really panicky and like didn't actually really want to move or to go out there. And I just closed my eyes, I was getting my makeup done, I closed my eyes and I got closer to it. And I was like, what do I need what do I need to see? What do I need to know? What is this? I texted one of my private clients not that long ago who was getting ready for a public speaking event as well. And the steps that I gave them were, what is this? So name the sensation. Whose is this? Identify the source. Now, if you are very, very intuitive, sometimes the big sensations that you're feeling are yours, or maybe you might be feeling like um, information from the collective. My coach Allison used to tell me like a lot of times, Andrea, what you're feeling is more the collective and less yourself. It's for information for you to know, but it's not, it's information for you not to suffer. And so I added the question, whose is this? Because if it's not mine, I want to know right away. And then I can just acknowledge like, oh, this is how the collective is feeling. It would be useful for me to create content around this or speak to it or give people steps around it. And then the last question is, what do I need to know? Identify usefulness of the knowledge. So what is this? Name the sensation. Whose is this? Identify the source. Is it mine or is it someone else's? Am I tapped in? Am I, especially with my clients, I feel my clients a lot. So in this moment, all of a sudden I was feeling panicky before I got on the phone with this client and I'm like, well, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. I've never felt panicky with this client ever. And I was like, whose is this? And I was like, oh, this is what she's feeling right now. I got on with her. We identified that she's also feeling the collective. So what I knew right away is like, I'm sensing her feelings and she's sensing everyone. (laughs) And then I said, and what do we need to know? Identify the usefulness of this knowledge. And so what we can do then is we can take the Um, the essence of the knowledge and we can almost create like a separate being for it. So if like a little child ran up to us and they're like, you know, if my niece was like, there's a problem, auntie, 
you know, there's like smoke coming from the microwave, she'd be like, auntie, auntie. And she would be like pulling and tugging on me, getting my attention, auntie, auntie, like trying to show me like, hey, there's something that needs your attention and it needs it now. I don't need to fear my five-year-old niece. I need to give her attention to show, to ask her what she's trying to tell me right? Is some, is there a fire that needs to get put out right now? Or is there something that I need to see? So as soon as I look at this sensation as information that's useful and helpful and friend, most importantly, friend or even family, it feels different. So I could see the sensation as like a being and I could see my niece Lena and my niece Lena could be like, auntie, auntie, here's what you need to know. Here's the usefulness of this knowledge. So give it a, you could give it a face. You could give it more of like a, some sort of just like, I don't know, like a a posture. It could be more even like a, a silhouette. It doesn't even have to have a face, but you could just see it as like friend and helpful. I often like to see it like a child because I don't fear that. I'm just like, this child is trying to send me in a direction and tell me something that I need to know. Right. So like I see it as smaller and I see it as like something that needs my attention and something that also needs a voice. Children need us to be a voice for them. So when like the collect information from the collective comes to me and I'm like, okay, this needs a voice. I see it as like a voice for children because they can't speak for themselves because even an adult who is being drowned in the sensation, a lot of times it feels weakening like you like you don't have your voice and need to be spoken for, right? So that's, I think what this person was saying, you know, is like, what do I, what do, I do when I'm in this freeze response? I, it feels debilitating, right? And so I can be a voice for, for any of like the inner children inside of us that are like, hear me, see me, know me. I'm stuck here and I can be a voice for that, right? Because that's like part of the work that I do. And so for you, it's like, well, is the emotion that you're feeling that feels debilitating even yours? What is it? Whose is it? And what do I need to know? And then give that sensation a separate entity and an entity that you would see as like friend or family and one that you would want to help and protect and nurture and give a voice to and give attention to, then the sensation is all of a sudden, a lot of times like will either completely melt or get so small that it it's not debilitating anymore and you can actually do something with it. So that's the first question that I want to answer today. The second question is how can I keep thinking big in a family of small thinkers? We're even in a world of small thinkers. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer the one when it comes to family. When I look back at things from a generational perspective, there are some really common, common phrases that I hear a lot. In fact, I even just said it with um, one of my team members who, who's here, Dejan, and we were like, kids these days. <laughs> and we're like, oh, damn it. Our parents used to say that about us, right? And... When I think about what are those common denominators, it's that we always think that the generation after us is 
not thinking as wise and the younger generation oftentimes thinks the older generation is thinking too small. I think there's usefulness in both. We need wisdom and that wisdom comes with um, a lot of background and sometimes a little bit more trepidation, right? Because it's like I have made some choices and I've suffered the repercussions of those choices. And so someone who you who you might describe as thinking, as thinking small might describe their thinking as thinking as wise or safe. That doesn't mean that you should make the decisions based off of their wisdom. Your opportunity is to check in with your own intuition. But what I notice is that every generation thinks bigger. So the bigness and the capacity that you hold is because they widened the capacity for you previously in that generation. Every generation that came before you was a step, was a widening in capacity, was growth in wisdom. And even though they don't have the capacity and they don't have the wisdom that you have, their generation, their parents' generation before them didn't either, and they widened it even more. Your parents, as long as you have like a decent relationship with your parents or they raised you, like when you look at things from a generational perspective, your parents thought bigger than their parents and their parents thought bigger than their parents, right? And now you're thinking even, what I'm guessing is you're thinking even way beyond bigger than the people that came before you from a parental and grandparent perspective because we have the internet. That's something that they didn't grow up with. So our ability to share knowledge is at instantaneous speed. They had to spend a lot of time to acquire a little knowledge. We have to spend a little time to acquire a lot of knowledge and our ability as a species to be able to share knowledge quickly, but also share it with more depth because what we're learning about learning (laughs) makes it so much easier. Your parents didn't have access in order to have the capacity that you do. They do now but that's not their job. They did their job. They widened the capacity. They deepened the wisdom for the generations that came before. They did their job and now you get to stand on the work they did and your kids will stand on the work that you did. And I'm thinking if you don't have teenagers yet, (laughs) you're in for a big surprise (laughs) because I would like to think I have like such an open mind and I'm a big thinker and still sometimes my kids are like, mom, do better. And I'm like, what? thought I was doing so great but my kids are so much smarter and so much wiser and like of well not wiser in all places there's areas where like I have wisdom because of experience right but they're just even more open than I ever was and part of the reason that they're even more open especially when it comes to like intuitively is because I set the groundwork up for that my mom started to a little bit with me my mom taught me confidence I taught my kids to honor their intuition as their first and last word and not mine, right? And they'll do even more and even better for their kids. 
So I don't think it's that your parents or the people in your family are necessarily small thinkers. I think it's just that they're thinking at the capacity that they were given and they're not supposed to be able to think at the capacity that you are. They set the stage for you. You're welcome. I think that that's actually a more helpful way of thinking because like I want to honor my parents for what they did do, even though I look and I'm like, gosh, I wish like my mom could think this way and this would be so much more helpful. Like it's not my job to save my mom. My mom did her work and now it's my my job to do my work, right? It's my job to set the stage for the next generation. Your job is to set the, the, the stage for who comes after you. It's not your job to reach behind you and pull them forward. That's not why you're here in my personal belief system. Okay, so this last question that I'm going to answer today is really, really, it's a sensitive topic. So we're going to talk about sexual trauma a little bit. So just a little trigger warning there. And when I say trigger warning, I don't want you to walk away because you've been through that Um, because I'm going to say things in a really delicate way, but I have been through several and I'm not going to go into depth talking about each of them. But what I want to do is I want to talk about how I healed them and how I healed them in a really, really gentle way. So you guys hear me talk about rapid resolution therapy a lot. And so I've had three different sexual traumas that I've healed through rapid resolution therapy. And one of them, I was laughing through the healing. Another one was, I honestly think that this was maybe one of my most challenging healings because I was dealing with the way that my mind was thinking and, and, I was finding myself in positions that I didn't want to be in was was a strange glitch. We're going to call it that. And so, but what I want to say is even though each one was really hard to go through, the clearing the um, emotional ramifications of them wasn't. And so if you've never heard me talk about rapid resolution therapy or RRT, most of the time we don't want to go to therapy for such a intimate trauma because we've already lived it once. We don't want to relive it again. And so the nice thing about RRT is like I didn't have to. And I was able to clear the emotional effects and how the emotions were influencing my current behavior without reliving the event, without re-experiencing the pain, without really saying a whole lot about the event because I was working with trained RRT therapists. So I've worked directly with Dr. Connolly. I also know that um, Wayne Brown is somebody who's trained in sexual traumas and has worked with people that I know. And then I also know that Marissa Guliano, I'm not sure if I say her last name um, correctly, but she's she works with children as well as adults. Um, I'm not saying that there's not more therapists who who work on this. I'm just saying these are the ones that I have had personal knowledge of and experience. Either I worked with them personally or know that people have. 
Um, but if you go to rapidresolutiontherapy.com and click find a therapist, you can see what each person that is recommended on there specializes in, and then you can make appointments there. And I, as far as I know, sessions range from anywhere between like a couple hundred dollars and Dr. Connolly charges $1,500 a session and you have to do three sessions with him. But everybody has different pricing. I work with Dr. Connolly because I'm like, number one, I'm blessed to be able to like financially be able to do that. And also because obviously if you have the financial capacity, I would want to work with the founder. Not to say that there aren't people who are exceptionally also qualified. That was just my personal choice. But I, I while I don't want to bring up specific experiences because I don't think that's actually helpful. I do want to bring up the fact that I was able to clear the emotional effects and how it was affecting and influencing present day behavior in a single session, gently, no crying, no reliving, no suffering using using rapidresolutiontherapy.com. I I'm such a huge, I'm such a huge fan, especially when it comes to, to traumas a little bit more delicate like this, because you've already relived, you've already lived a a really challenging event in your life. And like, you shouldn't have to relive it in order to move on. And that is one of the biggest reasons that I love RRT. So those are the three questions today. Some, we're going to do some more of these because these are fun. Like I can just power through you know, a few of these questions at a, at a time, but, um, I really appreciate you guys sending these in and get letting me just like riff on a fun, a few, a few fun, different topics. I have a fun story to share with you guys really quick before we head out today. And that is tomorrow I'm leaving on a plane to go to one of your weddings. (laughs) I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever done. I was telling friends and then I ended up posting on stories on Instagram stories. I'm like, you guys, I haven't been to a wedding in so long. Like most of my friends are either married or like, they're not, you know, trying to get married. And I'm like, oh, it's been since forever. The last wedding that I went to was my friend Joelle's in, in Fargo, North Dakota. I don't know, like 2015 or something like that. It was a long time ago. And I was like, gosh, it's been so long and I love love. And I just want to like be wrapped up in the energy of it. And so I put out on stories, I was like, who wants to invite me to their wedding? Like not even really thinking somebody actually would. But one of my followers, Lucy, sent me a message and she's like, I would love to have you at our wedding. And so I'm going to Lucy and Jonathan's wedding tomorrow in St. Thomas. And I'm so excited. I'm bringing Dejan, my brand artist and friend and, and team member, because her birthday is coming up in a week. And we're just going to like celebrate in St. Thomas, celebrate Lucy and Jonathan and their love and um, you guys, I'll, I'll share plenty on stories and do some um, feed posts, but I'm like, it's so, I can't even believe I get to go to one of my community members' weddings and watch them say I do to their love of their life. Like I feel this is one of the most honored moments in my career. I think I'm so excited. So if you have a wedding coming up, <laughs> I'm a great gift giver <laughs> and I would love an invite. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, I want to be a wedding crasher for all of 2024. So um, go ahead and just DM me and I'll tell you guys where to send the invites. And if I can make it, I am in. I will see you guys there. This is so fun. So stay tuned to follow along and you guys will see me hang with Lucy and Jonathan and celebrate their beautiful nuptials as the beginning of my wedding crashing tour 2023-2024. Let's go. <laughs> As always, Andrea dropped the mic. I'm Lorelai Taylor, COO of The Unruly Entrepreneur. If you enjoyed listening, please follow, review, and share with your friends. As always, anything mentioned in the show will be detailed in the show notes. And to keep up with everything going on with Andrea, check her out at love underscore Andrea Crowder on Instagram and check her links for some fun surprises too. Thanks for listening. We're so glad you're here.